0: Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off-Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage you via conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us as well by email ogc at accessradio.biz and check out our Facebook page Off-Grid Christianity. So please enjoy today's guest who grew up on a farm in Northern Ireland, but followed a career in IT based in England. In 1988, our guest went to a Benedictine monastery on the Isle of Wight. Having studied IT and psychology, he eventually discovered spiritual direction and imaginative contemplation that brought the gospels to life. Our guest studied to become a Jesuit and a love of hiking and pilgrimage emerged when he and a friend begged their way across Northern Spain. In 2011, in memory of his brother Donald, who died by suicide, he walked the Camino de Santiago and consequently wrote a book about this. So what is a Jesuit priest? Why did he write Redemption Road, Grieving on the Camino? Why did he write another book, Finding God in the Mess, Meditations for Mindful Living? What is Ignatian spirituality? What is the best way to deal with blisters on your feet? All these questions, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to off Christianity, Father Brendan McManus. Brendan, thank you so much for allowing us to come down today and be here in your fantastic surroundings of the office, right in the centre of Belfast. It's it's great. And that would explain
1: why there's a bit of echo today as well. Thank you so much, sir. How are you doing? Welcome. I'm doing really well. It's, it's good to be here. Now. I've had a great summer on the road, walking mm-hmm. different places, so...
0: Well, no doubt you'll tell more about that later on. But before we go elsewhere, five important questions for you, if that's okay. or not so important questions. Question number one, Brendan. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be?
1: It has to be the founder of the Jesuits, Ignatius Loyola, that ultimate pilgrim back from the 16th century. I mean, he's the guy that started the whole Jesuit thing, the Ignatian thing that kind of brought about this way of communicating with God, that God is immediately available to us, to our experience, and that we can pick that up by reflecting on our experience. At the time, it was just an extraordinary breakthrough. You know, God communicates directly with us and we can pick that up. Obviously, you need some kind of rules of thumb and you have to be careful, but there is a way of doing this, mm-hmm. which the Jesuits have built on and it's turned into a huge thing but to talk to him and to get his story firsthand because i'm fascinated about what happened because he was living one life the life of a a soldier and he was swashbuckling and he was a woman's man and he was doing all this other stuff quite violent by all accounts and then he turns into this saint this holy man and that transition fascinates me how did he do that and what happened and the way that god led him obviously the injury that he got in the 1521 in the battle in Pamplona, that was the key moment. He was convalescing from the injury, seemed a disaster at the time. That was the beginning of his experience of God, convalescing, things weren't working out, his life was over, so he thought, so things started to happen for him. That's what fascinates me, that particular moment. Is that what is
0: referenced by the cannonball moment?
1: That's exactly, exactly what that is, the cannonball moment. The cannonball shattered his leg in two places, broke one leg and damaged the other and then he was convalescing for months back at home in Loyola in his castle and he just happened to notice he just noticed what was happening to him he was having two different types of daydreams or fantasizing about two different lives Mm -hmm. so one life was the swashbuckling hero and winning the hand of this famous lady big romantic ideal and he noticed that after it left him dry and empty initially it was exciting and filled him full of stuff but left them empty and dry and then he dreamt of outdoing the saints you know saint francis saint dominic being a pilgrim going on the road eating nothing but grass or herbs from the side of the road really extreme in some ways but he noticed those dreams daydreams left him enthused and full of energy and eventually he figured out that this was god leading him away from the romantic hero thing and more towards that the saint end of things obviously a total reform of his life And it was to take him many years. I reckon it took him about 15 years to make the transition. And God was leading him along the way. But it's fascinating to change from one extreme to the other. And obviously, it relates to my own life. In the introduction, you were saying, I used to work in IT. Mm -hmm. You know, had the sports car and had the house and the big job and the American Express credit card and the big lifestyle in England. And, you know, leaving all that behind and becoming a Jesuit priest. Almost like one extreme to the other. So it's a similar, similar type of story, similar type of transition. That's what fascinates me. And that's available to everybody, I think. Yeah. Everybody has this ability to turn their lives around or make something better of it. Yeah, yeah. We'll hear more about that later on. But you also
0: said the word Pamplona. Never been there, but I'm pretty sure that's where they the release a bull, isn't it? Every year down the side
1: streets. That's right. It's, right. it's famous because of the bull running it's also on the Camino de Santiago, which you referenced at the mm-hmm. beginning. It has become really famous for all that, all those reasons. And tomatoes or something are thrown on the road, aren't they? That's right. They have a big tomato festival as well, separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to do with Ignatius, though? Well, only that that's where he was injured. Pamplona is actually a fortified city. You know, it's, it's an old kind of Roman garrison type thing. The Spaniards were holding out against the French who were attacking And Ignatius was injured on the ramparts, a cannonball literally broke through and shattered his legs and he was carried back home to his home castle by the French who admired him because of his courage. He held out against impossible odds, was extremely courageous, valiant, and his ability to suck up all this pain that he was going through really impressed them, you know. Wow. I wonder what he would have done fifteen. Well, not, in, around about fifteen
0: twenty one. Did you say it was? Yeah,
1: yeah. What they would have done to repair his legs? Well, this is the horrific thing. Now, huh, when you think about it, it was no anaesthetic. They had to reset his limbs. His limbs set, and then he was brought home. One of the funny stories is that when they reset the legs, there was a bit of bone sticking out <sighs> of his leg, and he couldn't get into his boots. He had these fancy boots, so he had the leg reset again with no anaesthetic. Imagine the pain, you know. Oh. But apparently, he never let a whimper out of him. He was totally stoic, you know, and sucked it all up. So he was well hard, in other words. He was a pretty hard guy, you know. Yeah. And that's often that's the kind of stereotype of the Jesuit, you know, and Ignatius himself. But that's I think that's far from the truth. I think he learned to moderate his excesses as he went on, you know. Before we get to question two, I was going to ask you what a Jesuit actually
0: is. Yeah. Without being rude, because it's not meant to be, but. I think the first time I came across the Jesuits was in a film that bored me stiff, although people would go, how dare you say it? It won so many awards and probably one of the greatest films of all time, and that is The Mission. The Mission is, this, is the great Jesuit film, you know? Yeah, I was bored. I don't know why. I <laughs> 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 to apologise. You know, the music is amazing,
1: though. Ernie I had that played yeah. at my ordination. Oh, really? When I was a Jesuit, yeah. The the soundtrack for that, you know, the, the oboe that plays in the... The, the theme music is just beautiful beyond yeah. belief, you know. Anyway, that, that's a side story. But, but what is a Jesuit? There's a joke that I like to tell people. Please. A subtle mixture of wit and charm, half charm and half wit. Yes. That's the joke, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real definition of a Jesuit is a reconciled or a loved sinner. At its, at its core, you know, it's understanding that we are forgiven by Christ that Christ died on the cross for me personally? Yes. There's a there's a big Jesuit retreat called the Spiritual Exercises and that is at the heart of it realizing that Christ died for me personally. Yes. That, that touches my life, but I am forgiven and that dynamic of feeling forgiven like releases me from all sorts of guilt and living in the past and propels me into this future with Christ and living more for others and being being a man of service or helping other people that's the essence of it living from christ it's like it's a combination of contemplation that you mentioned and Mm -hmm. action and jesuits are not monastic at all it's like the opposite of monks but we're out on the road and we're engaged with people and the world and modern media and we're doing things so it's just trying to find god in the world and trying to find where people need help in the world and trying to bring god's message to the world in Language that people can understand. Fantastic. I'm going to try and dig myself out of a hole here, having sort of
0: said the mission film (laughs) was boring. (laughs) My favourite film. (laughs) (laughs) I do apologise. But I'm pretty sure I saw another film a few years ago, and I think it was Martin Scorsese who directed it. About some Jesuits to go to Japan in the fifteenth sixteenth century. That's right.
1: Called Silence. I like that film. That's a beautiful film. But that's really hardcore. It's really hardcore film. There's huge torture in it. Yeah. The Jesuits are captured. Remember? Yeah. They're undercover evangelizers, and they're that's captured right. by the Japanese. I think it is, and tortured yeah. and made to recant their religion. And the the main Jesuit feels incredibly guilty because he has done this awful thing. I think he had to stand on an image of Christ in order to recant his faith, you know, but under extreme torture, you know. So, But it really brings out the whole thing about faith, about suffering. What is the meaning of suffering, you know, and where is God in all of this? Yeah, It's an an extraordinary film. Yeah, it's fantastic. And Martin Scorsese as well
0: has always tried to talk about these kind of films, isn't he? And that's The right. way he, make, he makes them. So, yeah. That's right. it would be very interesting to hear what he actually say about it now. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, that's the end of the interview then. We've finished it all. Thank you very much, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable,
1: please, Brendan? Yeah, it's got to be, for me, it's got to be the the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter or the prodigal kind of offspring. The one who has gone away from home. Yeah, and that has done all these different things, but that I've maybe wasted a lot of time and a lot of money and talent and morals and everything, and then that has come back to God. There's a certain humility about that. Obviously, that's reflected in the Ignatius Loyola story, reflected in my own story, and reflected in people that I come across in my, my work. People need to hear that message. It's an extraordinary story about God's unconditional love for us. I reckon that that parable is one of the view that is directly from Jesus' mouth. You know the way sometimes yes. Sometimes the gospel writers put in other stories or embellish accounts? They reckon that story is directly from the mouth of Jesus himself, and that is speaking about how the Father is, the unconditional love of the Father that forgives us. It's an extraordinary story. It doesn't make sense. You would never imagine that that would work, but the message at the heart of it is what turns people's hearts around, which is the th- key thing. So why does it resonate so much with you then? Again, exactly the same reason, because I squandered a lot of my life (laughs) and I did all these other things that I thought were important at the time and then woke up one day, just like the guy in the the prodigal son, woke Mm -hmm. up feeding the pigs. Here's me working in England, meaningless sort of work, getting lots of money, but no, no kind of sense of satisfaction or no sense of mission or vocation, even happiness. That was the key thing. It was the lack of happiness or any joy in it that ultimately drove me to look for something else. Like you say, I went to the Benedictines on the Isle of White, had this retreat, and just got a very simple insight that I have to get out of this yeah. job because it's killing me. I went to Australia for two years, met the Jesuits there, discovered this whole new way of praying with the scriptures. I was actually praying with the story of the blind man in Mark's gospel, chapter 10. And that was an, another story about forgiveness. The blind man is called by Jesus and gets up off the ground, throws off his cloak and walks into this new life. So you can see how that story really appeals to me. It reflects my own life story and it reflects the job that I do is communicating God's mercy mm. and forgiveness to people. That is liberating for everybody concerned. got to ask, mm. what sports car did you have? I had to, people always ask me that, especially <laughs> young young men. But it, it was it was a Mazda RX seven. Oh, was it? You know that with the pop up headlights, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the rotary engine. It was a big a big car back in the time, you know. Anyway, it just it was one of those things, you know. I always I always say to people, you know, I might I might have left it in a lock up garage somewhere just in case <laughs> <laughs> I ever pack in the Jesuits, You know, I used to be a bit of a petrol head, you know the way. Yeah into cars, you know, growing up on the farm, cars were everything and yes. having a car and being mobile and being on the road, you know. But that's all behind me. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a change man. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had the keys, then here you are. Let's go, <laughs> let's go for a quick ride in your RX7 and
0: see how much you miss driving it. Absolutely. <laughs> normally, when someone suggests that it's uh, the parable, they choose uh, the parable of the prodigal son. I normally ask them the same question, so I'm going to ask you this question as well. Who was the most disappointed to see the prodigal son return.
1: I was the older son, obviously, you know, and that in that parable. That's a a key part of the story as well. And to say that we are both the younger son and the older son simultaneously, and that's been my own experience as well, that you find at different times in my life, I find myself identifying with the younger son and then later moving into the older son, that sense of judging, you know, that sense of begrudging this love that the father dishes out and not feeling it myself, you know. So I think it's part of that process of faith means Mm -hmm. you, you take up these different positions at different times in your life and you learn different things and you have different challenges and God still works with you through that, you know. So that sense of here's a whole spectrum of different approaches to this, you know, and identifying with different parts of it and moving on is the key thing on that journey of faith, the journey of God releases us from our past and from grudges, from anger, resentment, and brings us to a new future. Yeah. That's a great answer. wasn't the answer I was looking for, though. Okay. You tell me.
0: (laughs) It could be a very short interview when I give you the answer. (laughs) Who is the most disappointed to see uh, the prodigal son return? The answer is the fatted calf.
1: (laughs) Oh, you kick him out the worst in that story.
0: (laughs) That's it. Thank you. Question three. This could be interesting, then. If you were the prime minister for the day and could change any law or impose a new law, Brendan, what would it be?
1: Well, I would be very ambitious now, and this this sounds atrocious, but I would be going directly for the juggler for capitalism itself, uh-huh. which I believe is is a failed system. It has bankrupted us. You know, the banks have been totally wrecked over this, and we still keep flogging this one. You know, about profit and about using resources and we have destroyed the, the material world that'd be big into ecology and preserving resources so some way of readjusting that system such that we we prioritize life i think in all its forms and get back to nature get back to who we really are get away from this profit making thing mm-hmm. and you remember i have done this myself in my own life so i know the consequences of that and mm-hmm. and how that creeps over you and what happens to you how you you turn into like a functionary and everything becomes an object and you can buy stuff and you can do things with it. But it's it's not not Christian at all and it's not good, not good for us, not good for the world, not good for other people. So I would be trying to address capitalism itself to make it more just and more connected to the planet, more sociable, if you like. Good answer. Thank you.
0: You're also allowed to have a frivolous answer as well. Yeah. So anything come to mind? I think it would... Uh, Prioritize green bikes, electric bikes everywhere, you know? Really? (laughs) Because they're getting rid, aren't they, of the electric scooters in Paris, I believe.
1: That's right, the electric scooter now, but the scooters are a different thing. I think the the bikes are a bit safer myself, you know? So you'd you'd allow everyone to have a green bike? Yeah, and ban the cars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would have been a long walk home for me tonight. (laughs) Thank you. Question four outside of
1: family events. What has been your most enjoyable day out so far please brendan it's got to be the, the camino de santiago i referenced that all my beautiful moments are from the camino so i have this you know picture in my head and it's me this summer even i'm on my own it's first thing in the morning sunrise is coming up i'm on my own in the mountains in northern spain and galicia and there's nobody around and it's just me nature the sun's coming up the dawn the world springing into life and it is just breathtaking. It is just beautiful beyond belief. And something about their being out on the road reminds me of all the important stuff. You know, this is God's world. Yeah. You were created by God. This is a new day. There's a new opportunity to experience God's love and to transmit that. So it does it every time it does it for me. And I try to get back every year, obviously, in order to have that experience. it, It touches my soul. You know, this is a kind of a pilgrim in me, I guess. I've been called Brendan as well. It goes back to St. Brendan, the navigator, the traveller, the person in the boat. That spirit lives in me, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's a lovely part of the
0: world. I've only been there once. That was in 1982. I talked to you about it off air. went over there to watch the World Cup. Oh, yeah. And oh, we were based in San Sebastian, which is the far right-hand side. but Oh, beautiful area. Beautiful and loved it. I must go back
1: there again as well. Question five.
0: What has been your most embarrassing moment to date then, please, Brendan?
1: I don't often tell this story now, but <laughs> my, my family love this story because it's it's my most embarrassing moment growing up on the farm. Yeah. But I used to I used to run, you know, when I was a bit younger, jogging, and I would run from the farmhouse, and we have a big lane, concrete lane, and I was going out one evening and I was all togged out and everybody's sitting in the kitchen, and I run out the door. Then about two minutes later, I'm back and I'm groaning, you know, and I'm I'm like in pain. And they said, what, what happened? I said, somebody closed the farmyard gate. <laughs> I ran into the gate in the dark. <laughs> and the, they love embarrassing me with that story, you know, because it you know, everything went wrong. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, it's a funny yeah. story. Because you would have
0: known the gate was there, but you just didn't assume it was closed. It was always open. It was always yeah. open, you know. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. It wasn't too harrowing. Not at all. You got through very well. Thank you. You've already mentioned what a Jesuit is. You've referenced a little bit about the Camino Way. Let's talk a bit more about that, first of all. That's okay. Exactly what is the Camino Way?
1: Yeah, I mean, Camino is a Spanish word for... It literally means the way. And the Camino is based around going to Santiago, uh, the Compostela, which is this big cathedral in Galicia. That's the end of the Camino. Everybody walks to... Santiago, which is where the remains of St. James reputedly are are held. One of the apostles, you know, mm-hmm. James the Greater. So his remains are reputedly held there in the, in the crypt, in the cathedral. So since way back medieval times, people have walked there. Originally it was a Catholic pilgrimage. People would walk there. Apparently Jerusalem, which was the big pilgrimage, was out of action. You know, all the wars. And the Crusades and everything, so Santiago became an, an easier option. And people walked in medieval times flocked to Santiago as pilgrims walking on the road. But the thing has had a resurgence in recent years, the last twenty years. It's exploded. You know, we're talking a quarter of a million people walk the Camino every year. And there's multiple routes now. There's at least fifteen different routes. And they all converge on Santiago, which is the yes. the finishing point, the big finish with the cathedral in the square hundreds of pilgrims standing around, people cheering, shouting and celebrating this massive achievement that they have made with their lives. So it's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing to be part of. And people from all backgrounds and countries and faiths and none, they all walk this because it does something. It, it touches your soul in some way. So
0: I was going to ask, why would a quarter million people
1: want to walk it? It really is. It really is extraordinary. It's And it's the opposite of what you would think. You know, like it's hard, it's really difficult. People think the Camino is an easy thing, but it's literally walking with a backpack for huge distances in the heat often, staying in hostels, living very simply. And it's it's like the antithesis of the kind of the modern life, you know, Mm. ease and comfort and distraction and all this. It's like being in your body, walking, giving up things. And you have all this time to think, amazing time to think. So there is a huge spiritual aspect to it, regardless of, of what where you come from on this. But something happens to you when you're on the road walking. People are extraordinary on the on the trail as well. People open up about their lives, and they encourage this kind of sharing. You know, solidarity with other people. You meet people. People tell their stories. The most intimate things. You know, within mm-hmm. five minutes, people are telling you. You know, I'm walking this because of my brother who died. That was my case. I. My brother had died by suicide. I'd walked it for the first time, in 2011, and again it was it was a life-changing experience because it helped me with the grief. Remember, my brother had died tragically, and I was left with the guilt, like people often do in relation to suicide, and yes. trying to work through things. And counselling only goes so far. You need something really powerful, and this is this is what did it. And I always say to people, it's a combination of. It's the aesthetic, you know, it's the giving up of all these comforts, the walking, the pilgrimage. It's all the symbols along the way. It's an old Catholic pilgrimage. There's lots of crosses. There's lots of cathedrals. But you're out in nature all the time, which is the other key thing. You're walking in nature every day, surrounded by all sorts of good people trying to do the same thing, trying to do something good in your lives, And something always happens. Obviously, from a Jesuit perspective, God touches you along the way somewhere because there's no distractions. You're brought out of your normal environment and you're open. Yes. You're open to things. And, and often people are looking for something as well. They're going for some reason. And that combination of people's desire and the way God is looking for people, it suddenly ticks off and people have these amazing experiences, you know, healing, transformation, getting perspective. And often people go back and change their lives or people spend their lives walking this, doing, being pilgrims. Because it's so freeing. It's like it's like a taste of the kingdom of God, you know? Where it's the opposite of the of the way the world is. Like I said about capitalism and consumerism and objectification and all that. This yeah. is this is prioritizing people and experience and helping each other, solidarity, kindness. It's an amazing experience. It it will touch your heart. So
0: what would it have been like the very first time this was walked, way back in the fifteen hundreds?
1: What do you think would have happened then? Originally it was the eight hundreds that was walked originally and then it became popular in the medieval age, but but this would have been really difficult. You can imagine. Yeah. Apparently it was all sorts of, you know, villains and you know, people being robbed and you had to make your ask for food and accommodation and you're getting put up on in these inns along the way. And so it was quite treacherous, it was quite difficult. And people had to walk there and walk back because there was no planes or mass transit and stuff. So would have been very, very challenging. And people really would have, you know, earned their their crust along the way and would have got some serious insight because of the difficulty of the experience. So so here we are replicating medieval pilgrims yeah. in the 21st century. It's an extraordinary thing.
0: You see there's like 15 different routes, but what was the original route?
1: Well, like, like I say, there is, everybody was going to Santiago because that's the, the key place, yeah. the finishing point. But basically, the whole of Europe was crisscrossed with routes going to Santiago, these Camino trails. And all people are doing nowadays is rediscovering the old trails. So all these routes are original routes. People going to Santiago from all different points Mm. around Spain, Portugal, France, Northern Europe, they all walk down. So all these routes are already there. So we're just rediscovering this treasure that we have here. So in other words, like we, we often
0: hear today, all roads lead to Rome. From the 800s onwards, it would have been all roads
1: lead to Santiago. That's right. That's right. Even St. Ignatius Loyola himself, whenever he was walking across Europe, he was using the old Camino trails at that stage. Wow. In the 1600s, yeah. And the route that he walked from Loyola to Manresa, which is the classic Jesuit Ignatian Camino, has been rebranded now as a Camino itself, even though it goes in the opposite direction. I got you. But it, it uses those old Camino trails the, to link two cities, you know. Got you. Still don't want to do it myself, but... We've got to get you on this, Martin. I think you'd love it, you know. Well, maybe,
0: maybe, but I'd rather do it in a car. I know that flies against <laughs> everything that you're saying at the moment. So we'll make it a bit greener. How's that? And then, yeah. I'll, then I'll drive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm sure it'd be fantastic. What's the biggest thing you miss about doing that walk, as you haven't done it for a few months? What What's the biggest thing you miss?
1: Just that feeling you get. When you're on the road when you're when you're a pilgrim it is is the most sense of liberation freedom openness connectedness to people and solidarity with people being in nature like i was saying i love that being in nature yeah. being brought up on a farm so being outdoors for a lot of the day but there's something about that that, that it touches your soul like i was saying it frees you up you know it's like cocaine for uh, ordinary people without any drugs involved it literally is an injection of good feeling into yeah. your body, you know.
0: I have to commend you on this because obviously doing some research, uh, there was a particular website, uh, I think, was it the Ignatian website itself? And it was a PDF download whereby it was 14 pages taken from one of your books. And I just absorbed every single word. You've got a fantastic way of painting. And it, for me, I always felt as if I was there. you talk about the eagles flying overhead and everything else it's like a brilliant and also having a glass of beer or two as well (laughs) that's
1: right that was the story of the when i was doing my jesuit training part of the jesuit training is this 30-day silent retreat and then a 30-day walking pilgrimage in spain which is what this was with no money and no spanish so you have to make your way across spain asking for food and accommodation and it is one testing experience It is really difficult but boy, does it ever deliver on the faith front, you know? If you trust, if you let go of fear, then everything opens up. So I, I think about that almost every day. Yeah, I was talking about this uh, to our, our vicar on, on Sunday because
0: he was making a reference. And I thought, ah, I just want to share in response to that. And that was how God provides what you need. And I think that was the, the big thing I got from your breakthrough moment when you were doing this walk way back in 1994 that you wanted to make sure everything was set up for you. Mm. And God was saying, no, no, I'm going to get you through
1: from what you need day to day.
0: Yeah. It's a brilliant way of looking at it.
1: That's it, exactly, you know. And it's, again, it goes against kind of the way people often think, you know, we have to plan everything, we have to organise, you have to make sure everything lines up. But the whole the whole faith thing is essentially you've got to trust, you got to, this is God's world, and that God is leading us somewhere, and that we have to let go because often modern life is about control. You have to control yeah. everything, and often it's just anxiety or fear or anger, just dressed up to look like I'm being efficient, you know. But actually, it's I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to protect mm. others, and it doesn't it doesn't work, you yeah. know. So letting letting go and letting God is the phrase they often talk about. Absolutely. It's so difficult, though. It's so difficult to do that to live that. I'm still struggling with that. The oh. First time I was told let go let God is like,
0: okay, thank you. <laughs> Next. <Yes. laughs> I'd like to, if that's all right for you to just to expand a bit about why you walked it in 2011 because funny enough I was chatting to a friend of mine today who's currently in Spain and his own son who's heavily involved in a big church back in England. They're all grieving over someone who committed suicide 2-3 weeks ago. It really has affected the church. So for those that are going through a similar thing, what do you remember the good things about your brother and why did you feel that you know walking the santiago camino was was a way to remember him
1: yeah so my brother donald was it's obviously a very painful episode in my own life and something that has kind of shaped and formed me in many ways you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to no i'm happy to talk about it. i have written about it extensively <laughs> but suicide changes your life obviously yeah it's the loss of someone close to you so you have to refigure everything and you have to refigure your faith this is the this is the thing often we unconsciously make a deal with god you know I'm, I'm going to be a good person and you look after everybody something desperate happens you think what's what's god doing you know so you have to redo all of that but like i said it took me took me 6 or 7 years to just to get back to normal to work through things to attend the suicide bereavement groups you know great humility is needed here to accept help and i often say to people get all the help you need because serious stuff happens in your life and you have to get serious solutions for that. So I you know, took all the help that I could get and worked through a lot of stuff and did counseling and went to support groups, etc. but there was still something missing. I was, I was still carrying this, the grief and the, the guilt, the sense of guilt is something that gets suicide bereavement survivors. People feel, yeah, I should have done something. And, you yeah. know, I I know for a fact I did everything I could and, and more, but I still was left with this this guilt. So so the Camino did the business for me. It really helped me enormously. Why? To let go. Again, it's one of those mysteries. It, it was a really tough walk. I did the, the entire walk from the French border, which is 500 miles for five weeks, you know, walking on my own. and I had all sorts of injuries. I had five different injuries at different stages. Nearly gave up a couple of times crawled into Santiago literally on my hands and knees. I was so exhausted and done in and injuries and fatigue and run down and depleted and every single thing. And I thought I thought that was it. I thought, you know, this is the end of it. I've done it. And I had brought my brother's t shirt with me. The last kind of thing I had, the last connection to him. And I wanted to put it on the altar in Santiago mm. as a symbol. And I did that As a priest, I was able to get up on the altar during mass and was wearing the t-shirt underneath the vestments, you know. Wow. Priest, I was up on the altar. I was so emotional. I was like, I was in bits, you know, getting up there and reading part of the the mass up there was really moving. But but then you know, like Providence. This I met another Jesuit who said to me, "Let's go out to the coast. The Finisterre is the name of the town on the coast. A lot of people go there afterwards." I saw these people burning their gear burning their hiking gear. It's kind of like a ritual, post-Camino ritual. Okay. Like a purgation of my old life. So I saw this happen. I thought it's weird, you know? And then I had this insight. I have to burn something. There's something that I have brought all along the way to here that I have to burn the t-shirt, you know? And I thought I can't. I was just so emotional. And so I thought I can't do that. But then I had a real strong, this is what what God's inviting me to do. So one morning on my own out on the remote you know peninsula there at the end of the world finished there literally means the end of the world i burnt the shirt one morning completely overcome with grief you know it all came out in one go just kind of cathartic meltdown wow. at the end of the world but boy did it help me it just happened to be exactly the right thing just the right thing that i needed at that moment And i came back home without carrying that burden you know mm. i was a different i was a changed person because of that and released from this thing i have been carrying, you know, so you can't buy that, you know, yeah, it was symbolism. It was symbolism. And I, I often say to people, the Camino is about symbol, ritual and pilgrimage and you know, about walking, having a goal and all the symbols help you. And the ritual the ritual helps you to embody that. Your desire for release is embodied in burning the T-shirt. And it happens to be exactly the right ritual fits in at that moment. That, brings you to another place, you know? Excuse me, Richard. you mentioned there the word purgation. Mm. What does that actually mean? There's a kind of religious sense to it, but I'm, I'm just meaning in the sense of there's some burden you're carrying that you need to let go of and you need to get that out of your system. So for me, it was the, it was the tears, the, the uncried tears that I needed to let go of and being there at that moment, having walked there was the key thing, right? Having walked five weeks and all sorts of challenges... And I see that now, looking back from, from the end of it, it was like preparation for this one moment. And it was all about letting go. Remember I mentioned letting go control? Yeah. And It was all about letting go. Don't be hanging on to things. Don't be thinking you're in control. You're a great athlete. You can do all this. Be humble. Accept that you can't do stuff. Accept you need God's help. And pray with everything, you know, pray with everything you've got and ask God for what you need. So here I was given this gift At this one moment this thing that i really needed which as i say had an enormous impact on my life my mental health my spiritual life was reborn out of this you know i had this different sense of god different sense of my brother being with me yeah the whole the whole thing just fitted together so that was when i wrote the book it's called redemption road which is the story of me on the camino doing it for my brother who died by suicide and getting this relief at the end of it so that book changed my life as well, uh, to say that as well. that Writing that was another form of kind of therapy, getting it out. Also, it was helpful for other people. A lot of people in exactly the same situation, looking for similar kind of advice or help. And I'm yeah. saying, this is what helped me. I actually wrote that down as a quote. Redemption
0: Road is about letting go of the anger, guilt, and sorrow that have been
1: weighing you down. Where do you stand now with guilt, Guilt is one of those things we kind of live with that a lot of the time but I don't suffer from guilt anymore in that sense. Guilt and shame can often be unhelpful Yeah. because take my brother's example for a second. There's no point in me feeling guilty. Something that, you know, I I missed an opportunity is like thinking ideally about what might have happened in our lives. Things are messy. You know, things don't work to plan. People get injured. People die. Relationships break down, Mm -hmm. etc. So, got to live in the reality because that's where god is in the reality i always say god is in the real and not in the ideal so that idea about bringing it into the present moment and saying where is god now and what can i do what will be helpful so that's when i'm speaking to people i try to talk from experience and i try to help people get in touch with their own experience and i ask them where is god in your experience and where's god leading you and what do you need to do now like do you need to go on a pilgrimage of some sort and say make up your own pilgrimage make up your own ritual make up your own journey that you need to do but don't sit there and do nothing you know do something god is working with you you just have to find that invitation somewhere yeah wow thank you i got, I got a bit emotional there you can yeah. hear it my voice is very close to the, the heart there now you still mind, explain a bit more please no, it's just, it's, it's, it was such a powerful experience. The whole thing, I mean, losing your brother yeah. to suicide is one thing, but getting the gift of the release was an exceptional thing. I think I was very blessed to do that. And I was really blessed to be able to write the book. And I had a very good friend who was, uh, she's the Jesuit media person. Pat Collins, she helped me to write the book. I mean, I couldn't have done it myself. She was a, a journalist. So she coached me and brought me through it and, I was on radio and I traveled up and down the country on the back of the book. And the book changed my life. And I moved into suicide bereavement ministry for a number of years because it's kind of unique being a yeah. priest and losing someone to suicide and writing a book and be able to talk about it. Yeah. So I had a couple of years of just doing that. And then I got the insight, and this is classic Jesuit thing, that I got the insight that you have to move on now because revisiting an old wound is difficult. You can hear it. In me there, it's it's not that pleasant going back to it, and you don't want to be digging into it all the time. So, I got it was another Camino I was doing in Spain. And I got injured, <laughs> I bust my knee, and I had to com- abandon. I had to come home, and I was recuperating. I was recuperating in Belfast, and I got the insight this suicide bream and stuff is too much because I was injured because I was so burned out, yes, I wasn't in touch with myself, and I made a mistake and I fell, etc. So you know, life teaches us. Yes. And God is the experience, just like Ignatius Loyola. Ironically, you know, I was limping across Spain and I was recuperating at home. So, yeah, yeah. As you said, I know mean, you didn't have a
0: cannonball this time.
1: Not quite, but it was pretty close, you know.
0: <laughs> Would it be right and fair, do you think, then, for those that are hearing this and going through similar feelings of, of guilt, mm. to actually turn it around and say, let's look on a positive thing, a nice memory? So would it be fair for me to then say to you, we've talked about his name. I know nothing about Donald. So perhaps you could just share something that's really nice and really good.
1: Oh, yeah. He ended up running the farm back at home. I left the farm and he took it over. So he worked the farm for many years. He was extraordinarily generous. He was really intelligent. He had a PhD wow. in, in like construction engineering. Really smart guy and incredibly charming funny yeah and outgoing and just a lovely person but so kind exceptionally kind to people and looked after people and went out of his way to help people who were in trouble and took people in that were destitute and looked after all sorts of people amazing i mean he was an inspiration yeah kind of a christian model he's a very very devout believer as well that's good though, isn't it? To remember those nice things. It is, you know. It's important important to remember the nice things and to, you know, with suicide especially, you have to you have to be able to put that behind. You know, it's not the person that does not define the person. No. That they're much more than that. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you can't feel guilty about having those nice thoughts about somebody.
1: No, exactly. You know, exactly. But it's it is a, it's a journey to get there, yeah. just like me on the Camino and the release I got, and then to get to this new place with my brother. That's a wonderful journey, but there's no shortcuts. You have to go live the process, you know. So in closing this particular chapter,
0: for those that are listening today and are thinking, you know, I'm going through that, or I know someone that's going through the fact that they've lost a loved one Mm. through uh, them taking their own lives. What would you
1: say to them? I always say to people, get help, you know, connect yourself to other people and pray with with the issue. Remember I said God is in the real, in the reality of where you Mm -hmm. are. So there's always things you can do and there's always solutions and there's always a way of moving stuff on. And you have to use everything at your, your disposal, whatever access you have to mental health services or groups or support groups and solidarity and other people. But you have to get out there. You have to do something. You have to walk your journey. Mm-hmm. with great integrity as best you can and it, it is very child i've been there myself it is devastating to have to go through that but it will rebuild you as a person and you will get these amazing insights and you will learn things you never believed and god will touch you in a new way your faith will be reconfigured because of this so it's it's a paradox it's the opposite of what you expect but there there is good things in store there is hope in store and you have to keep that alive. Even sometimes it seems like the darkest night. God is with us, especially in the darkness. Yes. That's, that's what our theology teaches us. You know. And for those
0: actually going through that feeling of, I want to end my life then, what would you say to them?
1: I said, again, you always have options. It seems like this is a good thing to do. Yeah. But it is, it's devastating for everybody around you. This is the tough thing. I can understand why people would get to that point. But I'm saying there are other ways of doing this, other options. You know, I always say, ask for help. Remember that line? That is directly from my experience of knowing my brother. And he didn't ask for that much help. And he, he turned down offers of help. So get help and get good help, you know, not just quacks. I think a lot of people can take advantage of people in vulnerable situations. So yes. to get reliable, good help, solid help. And you can turn things around. This is the irony. Today, we can solve all these issues about depression, about mental health, about grief even. We understand how it works, you know. So let's Mm. work this. You have to learn about these things. Obviously, research. Internet's full of suggestions about what you might do here. So don't give up and keep focused on the light. Thank Thank you. Another quote I
0: found from you was, the road is fraught with peril. And as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, this could be a line from uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, how often do you think about Pilgrim's Progress when you were doing your, your walks?
1: I think, I think all pilgrimages reference that as the classic pilgrim, you know, yeah. the pilgrim tale. It's one of these kind of Christian metaphors that works and it speaks to everybody. The, the journey and being a pilgrim, like being a pilgrim literally means to be in a foreign land to be out of your comfort zone, to be on the road, to be traveling, to be mobile, to be dependent, yeah. is how I would define it. So, so that's the classic, the, you know, the stereotype, the, the pilgrim's progress. But God works through that, and we learn things we wouldn't learn otherwise. And we're all on a journey, and we're all pilgrims in this life. I would often say that would be my catchphrase. It's a good catchphrase, mate. It's not bad. It works. We
0: talked about Ignatius, or you did, should I say, good sir, earlier on in one of the five questions. Also referenced Ignatian spirituality. So, what actually is, please, Ignatian spirituality?
1: So, it's just simply that spirituality or that faith system that comes from the experience of Ignatius Loyola. So, remember, I was saying about the cannonball moment, he was mm. injured and he noticed the effects of daydreams. Some daydreams left him full of energy and positive and full of faith. And other daydreams left him dry and empty. And he noticed really simple insight that this was God working with him, leading towards the life and the positivity and the energy and the creativity and away from the death and the desolation and the darkness. So Ignatian spiritual is based on reflecting on your experience. That's an experience of God. Something within me, within my subjectivity, it can be both positive and negative. And it's notorious and we can our world of feelings and the inner world of motives and desires and thoughts and everything within that world, you can find an inner compass. If you like, there's a way of finding where God is and following that will bring you to God, to greater joy, purpose in your life. Just like myself, Mm. finding where God is leading me and following that brings you great joy. It is, you have to learn the skill of doing that. So learning how to reflect is one of the big things. There's a very simple Ignatian technique at the end of the day you review the day it's called the examine in latin just five steps you just simply look back over the day you've just lived mm-hmm. and you can see looking from a distance you can see clearly there were moments of light and moments of darkness moments when i was connected to god and other people and moments when i was disconnected and just by reviewing and noticing then you start to live a better day the next day so i don't make the same mistakes I learn where God is. I learn how to tune in and God leads me. God leads me away from, you know, destruction and this desolation and brings me in a good direction. Yeah.
0: Obviously what you've been through, especially if you're trusting God, he will take you through stuff that maybe 30 years ago you couldn't understand. And then it will suddenly come to the forefront again. Oh, now I understand why I had to go through that. And you chose two subjects at university to study IT and psychology. Yeah. I couldn't think of two more opposites if I tried. Yet psychology now is obviously, I would
1: have thought, paying dividends now, isn't it? Exactly. They often say that Ignatius Loyola was the first psychologist. Oh really? Yeah. Because he started to work look at the inner world, people's inner world of thoughts and feelings and emotions, to start to make sense. So that is that is modernism, you know, the, the turn towards the, the human person, the subject, and subjectivity comes from this we have this whole world inside of ourselves. So making sense of that inner world, I mean, that's what it's all about today. That's where it's all happening. People are looking for solutions for anxiety, for stress, for fear, crippling emotions. How do I deal with these things going on in my life? And Ignatian spirituality gives you a method for dealing with that, and allows you to start working on stuff in your life. You know, start solving some of these problems because anxiety and, over stress is not good for us obviously it's crippling i know yes. i know this myself so let's start working on this let's start figuring out a way to solve this let's not be a victim of our feelings and let's use them in a in a creative way the way that god intended in order that we can be better people and better connected and of better help to other people because one
0: of the books you wrote uh, finding god in the mess i mean that's a, that is a great title
1: why is that did you write that book I wrote that with a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, Jim Deeds, who was a, he's a bit of a poet and a bit of a storyteller himself. But remember I referenced that I had gone on the Camino 2015 and I bust my knee. Yeah. I was in a cast that was recuperating at home and uh, I was looking on Facebook. And I was kind of mindlessly scrolling, you know, and I saw this guy, Jim Deeds, I mean, I knew vaguely, and he was writing these poetry and stories and I thought, my God, if I if I could get his his stories plus my experience and some of my photographs, we could do an amazing thing, you know. Yeah. And of course I did nothing about it for, for like a couple of weeks, but then I approached him and he said, Yeah, let's do it. And that was the title that the the editor picked. Originally we called it Meditations for Mud. I think it was <laughs> which is a bit of a crummy title, but <laughs> don't know. but uh but it was that I was coming from this experience being injured and obviously my brother's suicide and grief was behind that again so finding god in the mess just seemed to be exactly what we were trying to speak to yeah and trying to help people who are in a mess so in the in the book we reference you know anxiety anger grief depression death you know all these things that, the mess that people find themselves and are we're just simply saying god is in the mess with you and that is often a liberation for people people think I have to be free of this mess before I can find God, you know? Yes. But obviously that's not true at all. In fact, the opposite is true. God is more with us in the darkness, in the mess, in the difficulty, in the trauma of things. God is powerfully working with us if we can tune into that. So just simply trying to give people a few tools. Let's see where God is in this. And let's work with this problem that we have. And let's bring God into this. So I said... Let's pray with the problem. Let's pray with the mess and see what happens. That's much more effective and healthy and it helps you. It brings God's power to bear on the actual problem, which is what you want. I was told by somebody who
0: still is a a psychologist, for me personally, I had to stay in the mess until you could start to feel exactly why you're there and what you can do.
1: I think that's what you're trying to say, isn't it? That's it exactly. That there is a gift in the mess. This sounds crazy, or there is a grace in the mess. There's something that you have to unlock. Like think about my brother's grief, for example. I had to work through that mess, huge mess. It took me years to work through that. But you know, getting getting release from that, getting the insights, being able to work through that, being able to process that experience, very painful experience. I had to reinvent myself basically as a as a jesuit as a human being as a as a person who's a a pastor and a minister Mm -hmm. but boy did it bring some power to my ministry and some real authority to speak about these things you know so nowadays i don't preach about esoteric things or theory i say let's talk about life let's talk about the mess let's talk about the issues people are facing because that's where god is And that's where people need the good news or the gospel to to hear that. When I'm in the difficulty, in the darkness, that's what I need to hear. Not judgment or not skipping the mess or skipping the process or skipping the learnings. Yeah. Because this is the key thing. There's huge learnings to be had, painful learnings. Things that are going to remake you, you know, forged in the crucible of suffering, I often say, which is a tough, tough place to be.
0: Yeah. Well, we're here in the Jesuit centre, right in the city centre of Belfast. It just happens to be a glorious day outside, so it's it's even better. But the fact that you are a Jesuit, and the fact we're now 30 years on since the end of the so-called Troubles, as they call it, what have you seen from people from both sides of the the Christian fence regarding uh, wanting to know more about the Jesuits and that, hey, it doesn't matter whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic, what have you seen in the past 30 years?
1: Yeah, it's been a great thing. Obviously the dividend of the peace process, taking the violence out of the equation and building good relationships. So we would see ourselves, the Jesuits would want to be part of that movement, the movement towards building a new society, building new links, reaching across the divide, having good relationships with all people. So the irony is that even though the Jesuits are a Catholic order, but Jesuit spirituality will speak to anybody any mm. Christian, because it is it's Bible based, it's based on our experience, like I was saying. So it it will, and it's supremely practical. It's just about you know what's the situation, where is God, what can I do, and decision making is a key Jesuit thing. You know how can I move on? So it speaks to speaks to people of of all faiths. So I've had people on retreat from different backgrounds, faith traditions, and I've given retreats to people from other churches because. It works. Yeah. It works. You know, everybody wants to hear the good news. There's no there's no doubt about that. So, you know, being a Catholic is one thing, and then being able to minister in a kind of a, an ecumenical way, in a way that speaks to everybody, that's what we're, we're called to, I think.
0: Yeah. So tell me more about what you do day to day here in this fantastic centre.
1: Here we, we run courses and workshops and a book club, and we do liturgy and uh, different ceremonies for people. A lot of what we do is one-to-one work. It's called spiritual direction, which is where you meet someone and you have a conversation about their lives. And it's like having a best friend that talks to you about what's going on for you. Mm-hmm. Somebody that listens well is a key Jesuit thing. Listen to what people are saying and trying to figure out where God is and what they're saying. And it is, again, it's liberating for people. And a lot of it's just simply listening, you know? Because a lot of nowadays there's so much ideology and people are so keen to correct you and tell you what you should do, but that that doesn't help anybody. So creating a space where people can listen to each other, probably a good definition for what we do here. So a lot of our retreats and group work is about creating a space, opening a space for people. want you to speak about your experience. Nobody else interrupts. You can't comment what people say because that's the death of good conversation and sharing. So you have to protect people. A lot of my job is about, as I said, creating a space, protecting people let people speak and don't let other people interrupt you know don't let people theorize or moralize or you know make politics out of it because people love that but it's so destructive you know so an alternative way of speaking to each other so a lot of that's what we do a lot here i I also teach ignatian spirituality the the tools you know how do you do this we have a, a course that's based on a book that i wrote called it's called channeling the inner fire this is,
0: this is going to make great TV, this, because I'm now pointing it at the microphone. <laughs> a messenger booklet channeling the inner fire. Ignatian spirituality
1: in 15 points. That's right. So it's really practical. It includes a lot of stories from my own life. But it's basically the Ignatian tools. Like I was saying, mm. how to reflect on experience, how to work through a decision, for example. It's called, it's called discernment in Jesuit language. So to discern means... To bring God into a decision. What's the best decision that I could make here? So there's a whole process about how you might reflect, how you might look at your options, how you may weigh up options. Yeah. And what are your criteria? What are your values? And what is the really good thing to do? What is sometimes the hard choices? Sometimes we let go of personal stuff. So working through those sorts of things, you know, meeting people from different backgrounds, creating spaces for people. I do walks as well. Obviously I lead walks pilgrimages bringing people on the road I was, I did one in July in Donegal it was again a beautiful experience people get the insights themselves you create the space the silence yeah. especially is important for people
0: yeah and well, I did the albeit cheating a bit with uh, Martina Birdie and Elaine Kelly the the one around uh, Dan Patrick so Patrick's way ah oh, fantastic had the privilege of showing at least one of my friends around as well from England when he came over as well so when's the next big walk because you did challenge me And I've got an idea.
1: So when's the next big one? We're planning some programs tomorrow. Actually, we have a planning session. So I'll let you know on that. Thank you. But next summer is definitely going to be Camino stuff happening and walks in Donegal, for sure. Tell you what, I've got a plan. I've got an idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll show it to you after the program. We're rapidly approaching the end. So just a couple more things. Before I ask you who your Christian hero is, I'd just like to say, for those that want to contact you who have been really challenged, obviously, we've got the books, that are available from all good bookstores and Amazon in particular, they've got a whole raft of your books there.
1: If they want to get hold of you personally, how can they do that, good sir? Really easy to find me. Facebook, probably the main thing. Brendan McManus SJ, it stands for the Jesuit Society of Jesus. That's the easiest way to get me. We have a website for the centre, BelfastJesuitCentre.org, I think it is. But just googling those words, it's simply googling my name will bring up a whole range of options as how you can contact me.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, hopefully they will want to do that as well.
1: Welcome. I'd love to hear from people. Yeah.
0: Well, sir, it's been a privilege. Last question then, and I ask this to every single person that I interview. I ask who your Christian hero is, and I always present it such a way whereby it has to be a person that is dead, not living, and it can't be in the Bible. So,
1: Brendan McManus, SJ, who is your Christian hero, please? I've already mentioned Ignatius Loyola. Yeah. And... Uh, He's obviously obviously my hero in so many ways. His ability to put that system together and communicate that and build a whole retreat system around that and the way he's changed my life and the way that I've been able to use that to help other people has just been an extraordinary gift to me personally. I've moved from being a capitalist, basically working in England, to being this person that's trying to help other people and is on the road as a pilgrim. And is I, I write a lot and I, I publish stuff on Facebook. You can see this publicly available. So trying to help people in their lives, understanding people have difficult lives. Yeah. Using Ignatius's insights to help people to move on, to get help, to get out of difficult situations. It's it's a wonderful life. I'm I'm so glad to be living it with mm. his help.
0: Was brilliant. As we're talking about um,
1: St. Ignatius, then did his leg ever heal at all? He always walked with a limp. And in, in the end, one leg was shorter than the other. Oh, really? Because he, he had a reset, he had a bit yeah. sawn off. Yeah, yeah. One leg was shorter than the other. He limped for the rest Sorry, of the yeah, time. Some of
0: it sawn off.
1: That's right. That's right. Remember I said they couldn't get into the boat? Yeah. So we had a bit sawn off the leg with no anesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, we won't go into that. It's very graphic. <laughs> <laughs> that any aesthetic. Oh,
0: my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Brenda McManus, thank you so much for giving valuable time to us today. It's been a sheer privilege and uh, I'll sort of you off air now about my cunning plan.
1: Thank but- you. <laughs>